The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. The things that I'm talking about right now are your natural tendencies or your natural abilities to be able to do certain things. So your ability to be able to interact with people. Some people are people people and they're really naturally good at that. Some people are more naturalistic. They're really good with animals or the environment and they go outside and outdoors and they just bond and connect with nature. So people have different proclivities, these qualities, these tigers. If you step into a role, if your natural abilities will enable you to do those activities on a day-to-day basis well, you'll feed right into that. And it's kind of like the channels are all open. Everything gets watered. You're watering the root. And so you'll do well at your job. You'll get along better with your colleagues. Into a positive reinforcing loop. Absolutely. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest. And the atheist pray? It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Broadcasting on a wonderful chaos with. Bambos Dimitriou and Andy Shalev. We're with Stephen Rudolph, and we're going to discuss. Let's let's <laughs> use his title, not the one I I did. Feed your tigers before they eat you. <laughs> what happens when you have a predisposed inkling to move in certain directions in your life, and you don't go in those directions? You go in other directions because either societal or parental or comfort. education or comfort. When you don't follow your real undercurrent of a dream, and we're doing that. On a wonderful chaos, Mr. Shayla. This is an exciting show. And, you know, we have gratitude for Stephen before we begin. You're going to remember there was a show we did with Peter Koenig, Love and Business. And we were booked with Stephen. And uh, because uh, Peter Koenig had a, a seminar that was coming up, Stephen said, listen, I'll delay my talk with you, you guys, and then let, let uh, Peter come on. Mm. And that really worked out really beautifully. And I remember how uh, how grateful uh, Peter Koenig was because in a lot of ways, all of us share a certain way of being in the world. And it's it's a, I feel it's a bit of a surrendering to what feels right at that moment and, and not wanting to pressure any outcome. Because mm. in general, what I've seen is that when you just surrender to a moment and then you authentically ask what is what's good for you, it just feels so good. You know, like everyone feels grateful and, and I felt really grateful to him and Peter was grateful to him as well. Yeah. So it was worth noting. Thank you, Stephen. Um, multiple natures. So Stephen is a character who likes to think deeply about predisposition of people and what <coughs> happens when the patterns that they have aren't uh, put into the right roles and the right positions. And, uh, I say that we'll check with him when he comes on. I, I, as you know, have used the Harrison assessment, which I've also discussed with Stephen before. 
And the Harrison assessment is again, a tool and tools have the function of helping us um, create a kind of a meta level understanding in our brain. And at the same time, they're a little bit dangerous because a lot of times if we project onto people and we think we understand or know them, then we lose our curiosity and connection and connection to ourselves. So I'm always a little bit, I, I, I like, using tools and at the same time I want to use them lightly because there's a trap of confidence that I see come into uh, into our being and I'm, and I'm always really anxious when because uh, you know why people want control and they love tools because it makes them feel like they understand gives them something to hold on to. it gives them something to hold on yeah. to and then and then and we need those little like if we're like climbing a ladder maybe we need that but if that's what we hold on to for too long, then we don't get to go to the next rung of the ladder, which is letting go of everything you know to rediscover things in your own experience. So that's a bit of the journey that I, uh, I see that I coach and I'm on myself. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I, I think it can serve a purpose to have control. Yeah. Because if, you don't, if, like, if you're not grounded and you need that control, you could also flip. True. So that's the balancing act, right? The the versatility, so being flexible and also being uh, uh, structured. I think this specific show is going to have so much in it. Um, I mean, a lot of the shows that we've done on truth and everything can kind of tie into this one. Yeah. And Stephen also mentioned that he's halfway through the last letter, so we might even talk to him about that as well. Let's bring him on. We're bringing him on. Dr. Stephen Rudolph. Hey, guys. What's up? <laughs> nice. It's to good see morning you. to you, right? Um, no, it's evening in Cambodia, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, it's late night for him. He said he would stay up for us. Thank you. Of course I will. Of course I would. So yeah. thank you for coming. How did the intro land for you? Were there things I mentioned that were off or, or things you'd like to correct? No, that was that was bang on. Um, I, I would certainly add, add something to it. Um, I'm not only interested in... What happens? What goes wrong? What goes wrong when we don't follow who we are? You know what our innate abilities are. But um, what happens when we get it right? That's that's even more exciting. I mean, both both sides of the coin are interesting. But that's something I do want to talk about too, because uh, that's that's where really cool things start to happen. Yeah. Like like Stephen, if I hear you hmm. speak, what was the first question you ever asked yourself, which led you to the work that you're doing today? Okay, so so the first question was right. I I graduated from the University of Florida and moved to New York to find my fame and fortune as a, a rock star. And um, I had to get a job to pay the bills. And I got a job as a, as a teacher teaching English, English as a second language. And in my first class, I had this epiphany. It was like, oh my god, this is you know, it was like the voice from the sky says, "You're not a rock star. You're a teacher." <laughs> and I'm like, holy cow. How come nobody ever told this to me? I went through 22 years or so of education and nobody ever like told that to me. I never found that out. It's like, how did, so that was like my really, that was my first question. Like, you know, why did, why didn't I learn that? And so that was kind of, that was my first, my first inspiration to set off to do something about that. So, yeah. Wow. I, just to go to that moment in time, like help me like feel into your, your teaching because you got to find a way to make money, but you realize that's what you might even call your true calling. Yeah. I mean, the, the word vocation, right? It has that word voca. It's what you're called to do, so yeah. to speak, right? And so 
Yeah, it was so weird because I didn't plan any of that. I'm walking down the street in New York one day, uh, you know, I see a sign that says wanted English teachers up up in the, uh, you know, some window on 8th Avenue. And, um, you know, if I had been looking the other way, it might, you know, maybe it was like wanted travel agents or something like that. But that's just what I saw. I took the number down and, you know, I went, went in, I did an interview and, um, and actually I didn't get the job at first. Very funny. <laughs> I didn't get the job. Because the woman, like, she looked at my resume when I came in. It was about, I was like 22. It was like about this long. And, she, yeah. and she's she's like, listen, I'd love to hire you, but you just don't have enough experience. About three weeks later, I get this call. She's like, yeah, this is uh, Selma from the Center for American Language. Do you remember me? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, the guy who we hired instead of you suddenly quit. So um, would you fill in for him? I'm like, yeah, sure. When? She's like, How's, how about an hour? So oh, wow. I like hightailed it over there and I get to, I get to the classroom. Hmm. I, you know, I, I dashed up the stairs and I'm out of breath. And she's like, okay, you start in a couple of minutes. And she put the book in my hand. And like, suddenly I realized I don't know how to teach. <laughs> like, I don't know the first damn thing of what I'm supposed to do. And I confessed to her. I'm like, listen, I, I, what do I do? And my, my entire teacher training or my orientation consists of, she put her hand on my back and she, she leaned over me and she, she goes, just remember, you know more than they do. <laughs> and she, 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 she launched me into the classroom. <laughs> So I got there and I'm like, you know, I'm like shuffling the paper, standing in the front. And like all the students are probably thinking, yeah, the teacher's here and uh, he's, uh, he knows what he's doing. And, you know, it was like I started to talk and I started to write something and students smiled and they learned and they said something. And and it was like, you know, a half hour into it, like I started to get this sort of like, you know, warm and fuzzy feeling. And I was like, I know this. Like uh, I, I didn't I'd never done it. I had never learned anything, no B.Ed. or anything like that. And it was like, I already know, how do I know this? And then it was like, suddenly that voice from the sky came out. It was just like, wham, I got hit by like a, a wow. bolt of lightning. So, um, yeah, that, that was kind I, of my I, entry. I think that moment to like take this to a little bit and because and, I know that moment for me, you know, I was pushed into being the marketing director with no experience and just want, winged it and figured it out. And like I asked it's not that dissimilar from you to ask the CEO. He said, I want a press release uh, one, a, one a week. And I, and I looked at him and I said, I've never written a press release in my life. So how do I, you know, and then he said, I just want one a week. And I, and I laughingly, and Vambos mentioned this to me the other day, is I said to him, do I have permission to fail? Because if I have permission to fail, I can do whatever the hell I want and try and let it, but I need you to know that I might fail. And if that's okay with you, then I'm, I'm in. And then he looked at me like a bit confused, like, yeah, of course you have permission to be. And I was like, I'm getting paid to write, a, to, to, to like, to do this thing. Like, this is amazing. So instead of fear yeah. guiding it, it was just joy and excitement. Yeah. Yeah. And for you, it, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, you, the, the photography, you know, like I see the similarity in you when you said, hey, I'm going to be a photographer. And then it was like, what experience do you have? None. YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, you yeah. said that no one has ever told you that you were a teacher, and if you go back into your childhood and you trace your life back to the age of twenty-two, do you see moments in your life where you were teaching, but very subtly? Can you zoom into those moments? Um, I think that's interesting. When when I was when I was younger, I think it it was that I was a little bit more interested in say spiritual topics and mm. I enjoyed engaging in deeper conversations about life. Even I remember I was like in second grade and um, my piano, my music teacher in school was also my piano teacher. And, and he came home and 
he said to my mother, Stephen asked some question in class today about something about God. And it was in the music class. I had like no idea. And I was so I was so embarrassed. But so I remember that I was highly engaged in like things that related to the meaning of life and, and talking about them with other people. I didn't necessarily see it as me like teaching other people, but um, exploring exploring things together. That yeah. was probably a more um, you know, a more consistent theme or consistent thread. And when I did find out things, I liked to share those with my with my friends, especially going into high school. And those were th- those were things that were related to topics like about life and life awareness. That was, yeah. So I did I did see some of that hmm. inquiry. Yeah, yeah. I, but you know what's interesting, Bambos, about that question? Like this is one thing that that I've seen. These natures are inherent, right? And Sometimes what happens is that um, you you can trace them back to early stages in your life. Like you can see these qualities in people from the time that they're like two, three, four years old. You might see that someone is uh, has an inclination toward music or someone has an inclination toward art or somebody has an inclination toward doing adventurous things or sports or yeah. et cetera. But it's not always that it happens that way. Sometimes it takes a certain circumstance or an, an environment in order for that proclivity to um, suddenly manifest itself. And one of the best examples I give of this comes from um, comes from the environment. In the um, there's a desert in Chile that's called the uh, it starts alpaca or something like that. I'll have to check the name out again. Um, uh, wait, Atacama Desert. That's the name of it. Atacama, A T A C A M A. Atacama Desert, and it's the driest place on earth, right? And there's been, there was no rain there for like years and years and years and just a desert, sand, et cetera. And then there was suddenly a rainfall in 2015 and the entire desert turned pink because there were certain like seeds of flowers that were underneath the sand, but there'd been no water there. So they never sprouted. But because that rain came, if you, if you Google it, look for Atacama Desert, Chile, 2015 pink. If you can just remember that and you'll see the images, it looks like somebody photoshopped it and turned on like, you know, the, the fluorescent pink colors. And and so what, what I'm saying here is that in my situation, the circumstance never arrived that I was put in this position. But because the, the propensity was already there, boom, it's like the entire desert turned pink. My whole life lit up in just one second. So that's the that's the way that I've seen this happen, not just with me, but with many people. Yeah, I would say I would agree if I reflect on my own life that even going into marketing, I didn't know what the word meant. I actually just felt that there was this creativity and this sort of trying to understand what the customer wants. So there was a psychological, I I was interested in demographics. So there was a, a, a deep longing for something in it that I wasn't even sure. And then I saw when I got into it, it was really like I was a fish in water. It was just really natural and and it and it uh, yeah and it guided a, a good portion of my life still does of course yeah he writes good marketing letters yeah so I would I would bring that back to um, I call so I call these tigers right so one is a linguistic tiger um, I, I also refer to the, technically I don't have to get too much into the technical stuff I can keep it fun technically I would refer to it as linguistic intelligence it's a term uh, that was coined by Howard Gardner. Um, from Harvard University in 1983, he talks about um, what are called multiple intelligences, which are just different ways of being smart, um, yeah. uh, linguistic and visual 
and musical and interpersonal and so on. So I just call them tigers just, just to make it easy. And would you say uh, that the, would you say that people can have multiple of these tigers or in general, yeah. or is it just one that predominates? No. So, I mean, the, the, the frameworks that I use, I look at, at two frameworks. One is Gardner's and there are 10 there that I, I he calls it eight or seven and uh, seven and a half or eight and a half. I, I make it into 10 and I have my own, um, my own set of qualities, which I call multiple natures. So there's nine there. So there's 19 that I look at together. Okay. And I suppose, you know, when you're looking inside Bambos, you said it right before, and Andy, you were also referring to this as well. When we use tools like this, we're going into the mind and we're trying to pin things down and trying to get control on it to say, this is something called like linguistic intelligence, or this is something mm. which is... Yeah. Um, and it's important for me to um you know to to have that disclaimer gardner called them um he called them useful fictions is what yeah. he referred to them as nice and so they're, they're useful to an extent and you have to use them to help make get some clarity but then you you dispose of them when you get into doing whatever it is that they have so they have their purpose to shed light um in this case the tiger that i'm talking about for you andy would be linguistic intelligence right so one of the things I saw from from reading um, the last letter is that when you got to Japan, you immersed yourself in, in language and you learned Japanese. And when you got to um, uh, to mm-hmm. Switzerland, you immersed yourself in, and you you learned German, right? Yeah. So it's not everybody who does that. Like some people would be more inclined to do that than others. And there's another quality which I call uh, entrepreneurial tiger. So that has some of that, you know, that spirit of creating value, or it could be related to business. So if you take those two qualities, linguistic plus entrepreneurial, and you put them together, th- those are press releases for business and mar- or marketing yeah. press releases. So if you have a natural inclination to a language and you have a natural inclination toward entre- an entrepreneurial tiger, then you would easily be able to write something like that without ever having done it before. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that's kind of how I build the pieces up. Yeah. Uh, as I'm hearing you speak, uh, Stephen, there's a word which rings in my head, and that's the word a lot of people use, life purpose. And if you, mm-hmm. if anyone asks Andy, what's the purpose of life? He says life. <laughs> <laughs> but don't ask me, get but, over it. <laughs> yeah. But where would these two words connect to what you're sharing? Because yeah. I, 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 see yeah, little, I, I see a lot of people who are like, so trying to figure out what they want to do in life. And all of a sudden, they're just stuck in, as opposed to possibly just trying something out. And I'd like to own something as well, piggybacking off of Bambos right now. When I was running up the stairs to do this, I thought, oh, shit, I hope this doesn't become a life purpose show. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, and, 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 I, and it hasn't, nor is it going in that direction. Hey, but I just Steven, wanted, I think we should do a life purpose show. I just wanted to own it. Like, <laughs> like you haven't found your life's purpose yet. You know, that, that, that narrative that makes people feel in wanting. Um, but, uh, but it hasn't, and nor do I see that. So I just want to acknowledge that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can put it into context this way. Um, Life purpose is, is on a different plane. It's different from the things that I'm talking about. The things that I'm talking about right now are your natural tendencies or your natural abilities to be able to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, so your ability to be able to interact with people. Some people are people people, and they're really naturally good at that. Some people are more naturalistic. Mm-hmm. So they're really good with animals or the environment, and they go outside and outdoors, and they just bond and connect with nature. So people have different proclivities like that or some might be more educated, love to teach. It doesn't say 
right? There's nothing here when we talk about these qualities, these tigers, um, that says what you do with them. So purpose for me is on a completely mm. different plane. Yeah. In other words, you might have, well, you also might have multiple purposes. You might have a purpose, which is to take care of family. You might have a community purpose, which is, um, you know, to help out, a, to, to make some improvements in the community, or it might be a, a larger purpose. You might have something that's related to improving the environment or helping literacy or something like that. So mm-hmm. there could be multiple purposes. So that's like a, sep- a completely separate conversation. But what I'm saying is that whatever your purpose is, let's just say that your purpose is you want to take care of your family and you want to really do well in your job and a company that's that has some good purpose behind it, all right? So your ability to be able to do that depends upon what your natural abilities are. So if you step into a role of um, a marketing professional, let's just say a marketing manager of a company, if you want to fulfill all of those things, if your natural abilities will enable you to do those activities on a day-to-day basis well, you'll feed right into that. And it's kind of like the channels are all open everything gets watered. You're watering the root. And so you'll, you'll do well at your, uh, at your job. You'll get along better with your colleagues. Uh, you'll, you'll move very quickly. Um, I look at it like, um, what I call it like a uh, talent. I, I, I would love to interrupt you for a moment on this. Sure. Cause it, uh, cause I'd like to overlap something as I hear and what I've noticed, and it also is validated is that there is a system's view on this world. And when I hear you speak, what I hear is I have an inherent capacity. That inherent capacity meets a position or a role where it can be fulfilled, which creates a positive experience. That positive experience reinforces my feelings of self-worth, of appreciation, and of uh, of just, just general good feeling, which reinforces it into a positive reinforcing loop. So in exactly. a weird way... I just see this loop going through it where if I'm in connecting to the things that I do well in an environment where they're appreciated, that loop just continues to create and reinforce itself. That's that's how I, I could on that level. Absolutely. And what's interesting about this is also like the, the brain chemistry that's going on behind this. When you're naturally good at something, like let's say you're naturally good at, at uh, writing or Bambos in your case, if you're naturally good at, at doing photographs. So if you get a job as, as a photographer, right? And so... You start taking some pictures, be like, wow, those are really awesome. And then suddenly you put more time into it. You take some courses, you start doing more work, you want to feel, and you get better at it really quickly. Because when you have a natural ability at something, you, you move more quickly in terms of how you progress in developing your skills. So the more you do that, then people recognize you. So the brain chemicals, dopamine. So when you're thinking about doing that activity, you get excited about it. So you get dopamine release. Um, other people come up to you, they you know, pat you on the back, they give you a hug. This is, you're, you're awesome. Oxytocin gets released. You make Serotonin gets released when your status starts to go up. So there's this whole brain sort of like stew, positive brain stew that's going on. And then you're addic- you get addicted to that. You want to keep doing more of that. And so that's that positive. That's mm. actually what's going on internally in, the, uh, you know, in, your, in your brain while that's happening. Wow. Drugs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're it a drug is. drug addict. Yeah. yeah. Look, Dali famously said, I am the drug. I love that quote. I am the yeah. drug. You yeah. know, so all those, all those feel-good chemicals are inside of us. And then the opposite is, is also there, which is that you don't have a natural proclivity for something. You're trying to be something that you're not. Let's say your entrepreneurial tiger is not that strong, but you have it in that you have to be a business owner and you've got to get out there and build this mm. business. And so mm. you start pushing yourself and it's not working. And 
people are are you know cursing you and and you know putting you down and um it's one thing that you have the ability but people don't recognize it it's another thing that you don't have the ability and like yeah. and it's not working out and so you don't get the feel good chemicals so what do yeah. you do what do you do go go and go and work in construction <laughs> <laughs> you do more well, you you I, you actually give more effort for less return usually is what i've said you overcompensate by doing more but doing it like doing it poorly <laughs> well my my question is this like you want you want to get the feel good so how do you get the feel goods well you got to cheat uh, oh l- listen got- listen to a lot of uh motivational speakers and <laughs> no but well, what's your point what's your point because you're getting to something i i don't see yet so i'm actually very curious on this one so what is it so, that we're not so seeing so what you do is like you know you you go drink a couple you know a cup of coffee or two cups of coffee or drink, eat some chocolate or go for a smoke or um, you know get some stimulants in there or um you know some retail therapy when you're not feeling good and So this is this is what I call stimulants or tranquilizers. I got you it. start to you start to pump into your body mm. um, things that artificially release those chemicals chemicals in your in your body, and that's not sustainable. Like you can't yes. you can't smoke your way to happiness. You can't mm. like you know eat chocolate. This because there's this like diminishing return. You eat one piece of chocolate, two pieces of chocolate, but and after a while, it start you know you start to get overweight, and you, you're one cigarette, two cigarettes, three, and it starts to go in that direction. So that's the other side of that, Andy, the the negative reinforcing yeah. loop. Yeah, I always said to my wife, like you know, it wouldn't life be great if you didn't need to look forward to a vacation, as if what you're living day to day isn't isn't so joyous that you actually need something to you know occupy your thinking for a, you know future opportunity, that kind of thing. No. You said something just now. Sorry, Andy. Um, it's almost like if if someone is not living there, what would we call this? If they're not feeding their tiger, in a way, they'll be reaching out for substances which are not very nourishing for the body. And if someone's conscious of that, they can actually, oh, wow, I'm reaching out for this. So where am I not in alignment with myself? Yeah. And you just hit the right word. You said the word alignment. That's like... That's that's the word that I go to. And yeah. I was in India for, I, I mean, I didn't go through my whole story, but um, um, if, if I could make a bridge and then come back to this word alignment, mm-hmm. um, it, it, might, it might be a good place to do it. So when I, when I had that realization in the classroom uh, in New York that, my goodness, that this is what I was meant to do, and I got indignant, like, you know, how come no one ever told me this? I had this idea. I was like, I want to make a school where, like, every kid knows who he is she is that that should be like the the curriculum not like how to pass the exams and i had a friend from india who said hey why don't you why don't you come to india and open up a school like that here it's a longer story but i'm just keeping it short for time sake of time and i went to to i went to japan first for three years to get some some um i, I taught english there i got a master's degree in education from temple and then i moved to india in 94 and we built that school and Well, among other things in India, you know, it's a place you go for all sorts of um, realization and learnings about life. And one of my partners um, there was an Ayurvedic doctor. And that's a whole other branch that, that we could get into. But And another was a Sanskrit scholar. So I learned about this concept called swasta. And the word from Ayurveda, the word swasta is broken up into two parts. The word swa means self and sta means to be situated in. So swasta means to be situated in yourself. And 
the cool thing about the word swasta is its literal meaning is health or healthy. And that blew my mind because what it says is that swasta, when you're situated in yourself, you're healthy. Mm. In other words, that health is not like a measurement of your, you know, cholesterol level or your body mass index or like, you know, your blood pressure or something. Mm. Health is how situated you are in like who you are. That's what healthy actually means. And that just blew my doors off. And and so it was from there that I I got onto this. So, so Bambos, I'm so glad you hit that word alignment because to me, the word swasta or healthy translates very well into alignment. That's in fact how I translate it. Although they say healthy, I, I say alignment. So, so kudos to you for nailing that, that word. That's like, that's like the heart of what I talk about. We have uh, another person that was on our show recently who I see very strong overlaps with our discussion was Chris Akana. And he does something that he calls the alignment quotient. So mm-hmm. it's, very, it's very interesting. And th- I'm writing the third book now. And it's very much also around aligning within yourself while interacting with another and how to track that as you're you know, dealing with difficult discussions, for instance. So it's funny how all of us sort of land in a very similar place and we're doing similar work, of course. Yeah. 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 And there's, there's alignment at different levels. I mean, there's alignment in terms of purpose. There's alignment in terms of values. That's a whole nother, another yeah. area. You know, you, your tigers can be aligned, your entrepreneurial and your, um, you know, your entrepreneurial and your, um, let's say administrative uh, and you're logical tigers could be really going and you know you're you're running the books for somebody who's like doing illegal illegal stuff you know selling drugs or weapons or something like that um so it says nothing about your values so it's really cool that alignment has multiple there are multiple layers to it so purpose it could be your values where i talk about specifically the you know the kind of niche that I focus on is alignment of your natural abilities in terms of what it is that you're, what it is that you're doing. Your call to do. I'm a hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Bolalong, our friend from South Africa writes, do these tigers need to be tamed so that one can feed them without fear? Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's a, <laughs> that's a really good question. When I was in France, I did a workshop, um, a Feed Your Tigers workshop, um, maybe about five or six years ago. It was in the, the Rhone uh, Mountains, really, um, really beautiful. And um, with the, there were young, young people who were there, and uh, maybe 18 to early 20s. And when we did the workshop, they wrote a song called Craque le Fouet, which means crack the whip. <laughs> um, and <laughs> crack le fouet, crack le fouet. <laughs> so they were tigre famé, like feed these hungry, these hungry tigers. And yeah. so, so the answer is is um, it's absolutely about first. I mean, I have I have like some principles that I talk about. The first is like knowing your tigers. You have to know which ones you you have, and some are big and some are small. Um, and taming them ultimately means disciplining them. So discipline comes in the form of the development of skills, right? Mm-hmm. So for instance, if we're talking about, um, if we're talking about like um, an educational tiger, right? So let's say I have this strong ability to, to educate mm-hmm. naturally. So to develop skills means to learn methods of teaching and 
to learn different approaches to teaching and to learn how to make a syllabus and a lesson plan and how to support students in their learning process. So all of those are skills. So that's the that's the taming of them. That's the disciplining of them. Hmm. And it's absolutely necessary that if you want to, if you want to advance in life, uh, make progress in life, especially with the work that you do, you need to have skills. Mm. Ultimately, the, the value that we bring to the world is in the form of our skills. Because if you just come with raw talent, people say, okay, this is a, a person, an individual with raw talent, but like, what do you do with that? Yeah. And so you need to hone it. And another thing is that you can't be everything. So many people have, they have a number of tigers and it's sort of like a kid in a candy shop. I can do that. In fact, I wrote, I wrote a book, another book years back, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. It's called Solving the Ice Cream Dilemma. So how do you <laughs> make a choice for your career when there are like too many choices? And yeah. so a lot of people, what they do is they, they job hop. They jump from like one job for some period of time and then they jump to something else and then they jump to something else. And so they don't fully, quote unquote, tame them. They're still really wild. And then you get to a certain point where it's like midlife and it's hard to leverage skills that are not really well developed or they're, hard, or they're, or they're focusing on the wrong ones. So mm. my feeling is the earlier you can figure out which strong tigers you have and the earlier you can start to, to discipline them and feed them, right, mm. the better off you're going to be because, um, well, I mean, you'll be able to earn for them. People will find value in them. Mm. Uh, and you'll, if you need to transition from one situation to another, you'll have skills that are portable. And yeah. so it, that's how I look at I was, that. I was looking at like the first book when I wrote it, I was very anxious and insecure and I didn't, I, I, I convinced myself I didn't know what I was doing and I just kept writing and writing and writing. I had a coach and mentor on the side saying, Andy, just keep writing, just keep writing, just keep writing. So I, I didn't trust myself enough to go through the process because I hadn't gone through it. I didn't understand the editing process. And then I laughed because as, as, um, as it went to the second book, I then had a system in place. It was like, oh, I, got, I, I feel more. And then in the third book, it was like, oh, I'm just writing. And there was kind of this free flow that it, it, it didn't even need to know where it was going to go. It just intuitively knew that this is where it had to go. And then at the end, I could structure it in the way that would make it editable. And, and in a way that, as you said, only came through the practice of doing it and then learning it more as a skill than as a, you know, you know, cause I still today don't even call myself a writer, which is kind of funny because it's one of those things you just, you know, one doesn't project onto themselves you know, the things that they often are because they just do it, right? That kind of feeling, yeah. Well, I mean, there's another thing about being a communicator and, and it happens to, to come, through, come through in writing. I mean, you know, so that's, that's another way about that. But I think the, the flip side of that is also knowing which of, the ti which of your tigers are not your strongest and then getting support around those. Yeah. So, you know, support could come in partners, support could come in employers, it could come in the form of, you know, for example, like, you know, having a good editor or yeah. going with a publishing company rather than trying to do it by yourself. If your entrepreneurial tiger is not that strong and you think that you're going to write the book, market the book, you know, promote it, do all that, that you got another thing coming. I mean, if you're happy just to write it and get it out there and sell 50 copies to your friends and family, that's okay. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're, 
if you're somehow harboring these these dreams of it becoming a blockbuster and and you know a, a bestseller, then you're going to need to have a team of people, and that's where understanding other people's tigers is important because you can you can surround yourself with the right with people who are complementary to you have complementary yeah. um, abilities, and so yeah. that's when you can really rise to to higher yeah, levels. Clearly, yeah, nice. I also see in my. In my mentoring work, I'll work in group dynamics a lot. And it's really funny because a dysfunctional group doesn't necessarily need a functional person to enter it. It just they have to enter with a dysfunction that works within the group dysfunction. So it's really a science. It's like an art and a science. You're like, no, just because this person's highly functional, they won't fit in that group because they'll get so fed up with this quickly. They'll leave. So it's almost like, oh, but they, they, they have these qualities that make that they'll work within this weird dynamic. So that's it's interesting because I think people it's not as easy as saying, oh, there's a personality type that works. Mm. Yeah, it just it, it's it, each yeah. it's bespoke. Yeah, that's it. That's I like I like that you you put it that way because what's happening more and more is this right. We we've got as Alvin Toffler once called uh, future shock. Right, you know the not that change is happening, but the speed of change is so fast. It, we're constantly having to upgrade and to change ourselves. It's really difficult to well. It's almost impossible now to say you go to school and you get a degree and then you graduate and say, this is the job I do for the rest of my life. Even mm-hmm. when you get into companies, you hire somebody for a particular role. And th- there are companies now that, that don't have titles for roles because it's almost nonsensical. It's like, okay, yeah. what needs to be done? And who's the right person who can do that? Yeah. And so that's where I see that focusing more on, on tigers and natural abilities is important because it's like, okay, this is the thing that needs to be done of the five of us or 10 of us or th- whatever's the number, who's the most likely person to do this one? Yeah. That would be me. And who's the most likely to do this one? And the the groups or the teams can be, um, you know, cross-functional and it's sort of like right time at the right place and you you adapt yourself. So it's highly adaptive, highly. And when the when the world is changing that quickly, the ability for people to to adjust to those rapid changes, you know, that's basically survival of the fittest, which is yeah. how quickly you can adapt to the situation. And companies are, are basically like, you know, organisms uh, or, or entities that, that need to do that as well. Ronnie, my wife, continues to remind me, Andy, do realize that it's not the strongest ones that survive the longest. It's the ones that adapt easiest and quickest. Right. <laughs> that's good. That's it. And, and that's an, the point is just she always likes to point out she 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 loved the book Sapiens. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I actually right. didn't read it, but I loved as she shared with me all the quotes from this book. It is an exceptional book. It makes you feel as, as small and tiny as we are as a human being that believes we're bigger than we are necessarily um, our egoic selves that believe that we are here and we are the ones that, you know, are the planet as opposed to just part of a small speck of a bigger picture. So she uh, always tends to remind me that, uh, that the, the animals, the cockroaches will be here long after we are. Right. And, and my, look, my, my take on, on that is that um, talking about that negative loop before mm-hmm. when people are misaligned, when they're not in alignment and they're seeking pleasure and seeking that satisfaction from external sources, that's mm. one of the highest forms of consumption. 
You know, if you're constantly looking to gratify yourself all day with coffees and chocolate and fast food and, um, you know, purchasing things, um, that's contributing directly to this consumption problem. And that's actually yeah. the, the problem that we're strapped down with on the planet is, is we're consuming too much. So yeah. I don't, I, I'm not, it's what I feel. I feel that getting people in alignment could be one of the easiest ways instead of trying to make like super green technologies and people working hard, spending billions of dollars, it just might be easier to get people a bit more aligned. And then what happens? You love what you're doing and you feel good doing what you're doing. You don't need to like go buy all that stuff and to, yeah. you know, um, I, I'm going to try. I, I could that's, see that. that's my angle. <laughs> I, I can see that visually, like someone that's really in alignment with themselves. They're more in the giving phase. What can I contribute? How can I give more of myself? And someone that isn't potentially is really looking to undercurrent. Yeah. Yeah. Everything exactly. is about transaction. Yeah. Exactly. To acquire, to, to yeah. hold and possess, because there's a feeling that when I have stuff and I get stuff, then it, it makes me more, it makes me more legitimate or I exist or, you know, that as opposed to I'm enjoying this interaction and I'm enjoying how I'm engaged and don't, like you said before about not wanting to go on vacation, don't take me away from what it is that I'm doing because I feel so good while I'm doing it. I feel high. Yeah. Don't stop my high. And as we're talking now, like in my, in my brain, it's like I don't see it as right or wrong in, in a way of someone that's living like this because mm. I'm curious what would be, what would be the... Um, what will be this person's place in the world? Because they are contributing to some degree to the life cycle. So what it is it that they're doing, even if they're not feeding their tigers? You're saying that that person also has a place? If somebody's not feeding their their tigers and... Um, well, what, I, what is I, I didn't want to insinuate that it's a bad thing if they're not. But what, what will be the... Um, the consequences. Well, yeah, the, the consequences, if I just, uh, I think you've pointed them out, is that if you're not feeding the tiger, then you go to coping mechanisms. And the coping mechanisms would be consumption, distraction, um, porn, uh, alcohol, and, and such. It's an opportunity for, for others to serve because if there weren't people like that, then there wouldn't be, exactly. there wouldn't be work, be, there wouldn't be work gotta, to do. We'd be out of business. You know, I'm, I'm always like, I'm always like when I'm working with a client, I, I usually get pretty close with the families that I'm working with. I'll live with them for a week usually. And then I'll see the dysfunction that goes on in the family. And then, and then they'll always look at me at what moment, because we'll discuss the dynamic. And then I'm like, hey, man, I got business in the future. I got business in the future. <laughs> I mean, speak, speaking of, like if I take it to like the, the, the Indian perspective, some like the Indian philosophy with, with how they would describe it is through the process of like birth and rebirth, right? Ah. That, that, that the purpose of, of life is this opportunity to purify yourself or to come to that realization and that there's sort of like there's unlimited living entities who are constantly taking birth, like since since forever, since like yeah. the, the infinite past, and it's going to be going on for the infinite future. And so it just is. It just is. That's the yeah. way it is. There's not a point where suddenly everybody miraculously comes to some like 
you know, a realization and the whole world becomes realized and beautiful. But it, that's like, it doesn't happen like that. It's just like someone gets on the train, someone getting off the train. It's like Grand Central Station. Yeah, but the funny with, thing with is, getting to Bambos to your question, though, it's kind of fun because in a way, it also comes back to narrative. We all create story and that story is what we'd use to give our lives meaning. It's used to judge another person's life of they're not living their true purpose or whatever the narrative is. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there is a degree to which just the person who does the simplest task, but it's meaningful to them, like that person's life, you wouldn't say that person has less meaningful life than anyone else. In fact, many times those are the people I find far more interesting because they're far more, as you would say, aligned. And I want to be around aligned people, not around people who are disconnected, there's just, I'm talking, I've been writing a lot in the new book around this subject. And I'll say, when I'll speak or spend time with that person, then I'll be interacting with the memories of that person, because they're not in the moment with me, they're regurgitating something from the past. So I'm sitting with not the person, I'm sitting with the idea of the person. And now I'm having to like wade through like, where are you now? Like, show me you. And 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 mm -hmm. that just is less interesting for me in at this point in my life. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, a film that Bambos always loves when I bring pop culture into our shows. Mm -hmm. um, Seven Up, Fourteen Up, Twenty One Up, Twenty Eight Up. I'm sure you know of these films. Not sure. Oh my God! Please. It is a B, I think it was BBC did it and they basically filmed the lives of seven year olds and then they filmed the lives seven years later of the same kids and then at 21, okay. the same kids and then 28 okay. and 35 and on and on. And mm -hmm. it is one of the most fascinating views of a progressive um, view because at seven, you're looking at these kids and you have a very strong idea of what they're going to become. So it's almost like a snapshot where you're projecting on, seeing your own projections, a kid that was raised in a wealthy family, a kid that was raised in a poor family, a child that was raised in an abusive family and, and across right. the spectrum. And what you get to see is a snapshot in, in seven year increments of what they turned out to become. And it's mm -hmm. scary how predictable it is from seven to 60, you know, 40, 56, if you do the math, how 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 much you could see in their nature at seven that makes all the sense in the world as they got older. So it yeah. really was uh, it blew my mind. It, it it really opened my eyes to how we can see a lot more in the nature of individuals at young ages than we might imagine. Yeah. I, I haven't seen this also. So but amazing. Yeah, amazing. And And of course, these people got well known and it got very uncomfortable for them in their 30s and in their 40s. Because oh. they were well known and people thought that they knew them. So they actually at periods said, I'm not participating in this documentary anymore oh, because cool. it was too uncomfortable. Because at some point yeah. you're like, people recognize you on the street and then they think they understand you because they saw you at seven. So yeah. there was a, it, but a fascinating snapshot on, on for me looking at the traits of individuals and over time. Yeah. yeah well, what's interesting is, uh, as you're saying, you can very clearly see qualities in in um, young children but then the environment around you is also going to impact you so depending upon what what type of parents you have or siblings or who your friends are social 
situations ge geographically where you are, you know, the type of opportunities that are available to you, all of those things are going to create, um, they're either going to bring those qualities out or they're going to, they, they might suppress them. And yeah. so uh, the quality, and so, so what happens is we get stuck with these programs and, you know, quite often when, when we're in our, you know, late teens or early twenties or so, we have this identity crisis because we've got a feeling, feelings are running inside of us, but then we have some sort of social things going on outside. Um, there was one woman who you had on one of your programs very recently who um, was in banking and then she went to India and came back yeah. and said she wanted Monica, to be- Monica, Monica Zampa. Yeah. yeah. Right, Zampa, yeah, Monica. Yeah. So, so there you go. Like those qualities were, were there inside of her. Uh, but and the per parental pressure that was around her was, you know, you've got to be successful financially and you've got to be in banking or whatever. Yeah. You know, that, that's where she got the praise from. Um, and then you've got to come to grips with that. And not everybody has that the strength like as she had to be able to stand up against the scrutiny of or the disapproval of parents. Yeah, because uh, that others. show was that show for the title was my family thinks I'm a loser, I think. And yeah, and that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, I, I think although my brother watches the show now, I don't know if he would have ever called me a loser, but I'm sure that he would have wondered what the hell is going on with Andy for a lot of years. Like yeah. he's lost it. You know, that was the, the narrative, I believe, in the family. Yeah. And so I've seen that, you know, there are some people who manage to, quote unquote, dodge the bullet. You know, they, they manage to, at, at a fairly young age, to be able to not become um, hardened by those, um, by those programs, let's call them that. Um, but conditioning, the conditioning, it's, it's the minority, it's, it's, it's not the, the majority. Yeah. Gallup had a poll some years back about, in terms of work, like, what percentage of people um, either uh, are disengaged with their job or have no no feeling toward it whatsoever? And it was like eighty nine percent. Wow, you know, it was like a really high number. And so it's funny because I, I I've done workshops, I've done many workshops over the years. The average age is somewhere like in four in like you know forty four, forty five, someplace around there. People who come to the workshops and it's usually that's the time that you know their kids are grown up and now they're starting to reflect they have enough financial stability in, in some cases and they're saying that whoa it's a midlife crisis of, of yeah. sorts that um i i lost what i had i had these dreams or i had these qualities and and i've you know what do i do now yeah. and um there's still hope there's still ways that you can do things but of course the earlier you catch it the better yeah. and that's why you know i mean if parents are, are listening then here you've got folks car are young, You've got mortgage, you've got children's education, you got healthcare, like all the life's responsibilities get on your back. And that's yeah. sort of like this reality that then takes the, mm -hmm. takes fear. It creates a lot of fear. I have and a question. Oh, yeah. sorry. I was going to segue us into a whole nother area. Sure. You, you said that, um, that, you read half of the last letter. And from what you read, you said, actually, I feel like we could probably take this interview in a whole nother direction, but you didn't mention yeah. what that was. Have we gone in that direction at all? Or is there stuff that you'd say no. that's curious to you that you'd like to bring in? Because I'd love to hear what that was that came up for you. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, the, because the, the things that I'm talking about now are, they're very common talking points, things that I speak about. So it kind of, uh, it, there, are, there are layers that are way deeper 
Um, you know, when we talk at, at this level, I find it interesting and I'm sure that there's some value in it, but there's other stuff that, that goes on way, way deeper. And that's why when I, I read your book, um, you know, at least the, the first half, um, it just touched a chord in me how you, you had this idea of sort of like dying in your, in your own body, right? Yes. Yeah. That, that, you, actually, that you actually die uh, before you die. And yeah. when, that, when that happens that suddenly life becomes it becomes open to you uh, and you um you you lose a lot of the uh what would you call them the obligations of the coulda woulda should yeah. many of these so social maybe social dictates or, or pressures are are alleviated and you can live yeah. your life that that's I what think, i got from I, your I, and I, and i think that and i and i didn't want to overstate that because what i what i learned was that and and it, and it is very much as you said. There was a moment; it was deep depression. I said, "I'm either going to kill myself literally, or I'm going to accept that that old version of me is dead, and allow my a new version to emerge, not knowing what that looked like yet." And there were far less of the social constraints on that new person. He wasn't as fearful. He wasn't as shameful when it came to women because I was very anxious when it, asking a woman out, like everyone asked me out because I'd be too anxious that there would be a no or something. It was like, no, no. Uh, and then at some point, I just walk up to every woman I found attractive. Said, You're really beautiful without any attachment to an outcome. You know, it was like, wow, this is easy. But then you got a beer dumped on your head. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> then you realize there's consequences that I wasn't aware of. But the the I guess the the point being, I noticed, I didn't want to overstate it, that there's other things that come up, which are also insecurities, but they're different than they were then. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I saw that as being uh, just a, a fascinating, uh, a fascinating angle because that was sort of like a parallel thing that ran on for me over my my course of time in uh, while I was in India. Um, you know, like uh, chasing chasing something down. You know, the the internal the internal process that I went through. You know, the external process was really what I discovered that could be valuable to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Getting into Ayurveda, getting into um, uh, education and philosophy, and then from that extracting out this method that I've extracted um, and create turning into a company, turning into products, and then it's useful for for people now in helping to find balance in their lives. So that's that's sort of like the surface level, and I, I find it fascinating. But when I read when I read the book, I sort of felt like, wow, this is. Um, you know, you touch a much deeper point. And, you know, for me, while I was in India, I was, I was, one of the reasons I was there was also to find out some sort of deeper spiritual meaning behind things. You know, that's mm. one of the, that's one of the reasons why we in the West go to India. So it's, it's like, kind of, sort of like this, the spiritual storehouse. It's like the Amazon, the Amazon.com of, of like anything spiritual you want, you could find it there. Like there's yeah. thousands of gods and different <laughs> paths. And, and um, yeah, so, you know, what I, what I found while I was there, and again, without going into, into too much detail, you know, I was living in India for 21 years and I poured myself into it and into even certain spiritual paths to try to find the truth you know, fasting and 
chanting and um, doing all the rites and, and yeah. following to. I didn't want to leave any stone unturned because yeah. the way certain things were described, it's kind of like, boy, if you could reach this level of, of enlightenment. Yeah, yeah, Nirvana, it's just like, it's just be like, oh, and I didn't want to miss this opportunity. And, mm. um, you know, the people who I was with, there was, I lived with them practically even 12 years of that time. We had the school in our house. We lived mm. together in the same house together for about 12 years. I learned to speak Hindi, became completely fluent. Um and was there for for twenty one the better part of twenty one years and you were um, twenty one years in India, yeah, Whew. yeah, that was that's a long insane. time. That's a long yeah. time. Wow. Okay, that's, that's that. I didn't want to leave a stone unturned. I really went. Yeah, it took you twenty one years to do everything. <laughs> well, the, the first the first five years was just learning to break down my Western frame and be able to see it, wow. see India as like not looking at it through Western eyes. Yeah. And then the next five years or so was how I built up an Indian frame so I could see India as an India that would see India. Yeah. And then the next 10 years was, and I would, I would culture switch. So when I would go back to America, I could switch into like, you know, from New Jersey. So I'd switch into Jersey. First, when I come back, people are like, how come you're speaking with an Indian accent? It would take me a couple of days to get out of, yeah. you know, talking a little bit with my tongue toward the back of my mouth when I was speaking, because, yeah. you know, that's sort of what happens, language attrition. Yeah. So I, I would switch back. When I come to India, I would switch into my Indian frame. And, and it took me like another 10 years to be able to not, I like how you said in your book, like to become a citizen of the world. Like I didn't have to switch back and forth anymore. Right? I yeah. was able to. So, um, yeah, that's beautiful. So, yeah. So, so the, 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 the thing for me, that's sort of like, you know, that, that moment, you know, that where you, you talk about when you've experienced the, you know, the pain of your, um, of your mom's passing, it, it didn't happen to me with, with somebody who was actually physically dying. Mm. It, it happened in terms of the people who I was working with for all of these years, like a brother, like a family member with like a spiritual mission be all that sort of stuff finally one day when push came to shove um and we had a company together and i had i had 15 percent of the shares in the company when i decided that i wanted to go out to you know in the world to sort of explore the rest of the world and said you know i want to find out about how i cash my you know cash out my 15 percent or do something to leverage that my partner said what 15 percent I said, what are you talking about? He said, you don't have 15% of the guy. I said, what are you talking about? We all signed the paper. That means he, his wife, his brother, and his three kids who were all on the board all signed it with me some two years or three years before. And I never kept a copy of the paper because he was the, the administrator. Everything was in his office. I never thought about it. He's the man I lived with. I, I held his grandfather's hand when he died. I was there in the room when he had passed his last breath. When children were, a stillborn child was there, I buried that child along the banks of the Yamuna. You know, this is like, like I, how much closer could you be working seven days a week, you know, mission-oriented? Yeah. And suddenly I was like, all of that spiritual stuff, you know, all of those, pro all of the, the love and the, all that stuff, the minute it came to dollars and cents. So what had happened was he never registered my shares for the company. Like he, he wrote it on a paper and we all signed it and he never registered it. And he found some cockamamie way of like, you know, um, 
saying that that well you know uh, there, it was it was going to be taxed and all these things then he tried to put it on the religious thing and ours is a family and it's a, and at the end of the day it was just it was oh, wow. just so what i learned out of all of that it's sort of that i was on the i was lying on my bed for about a day and a half when this when this happened i was i died i literally I was that, that same sort of fetal position because I lost 21 years of, of partnership of children who came into the world, people who went out of the world. And I thought I was part of this family. And, um, and then it was all of my money that I had worked for for like 21 years. So I just saw that just like go up in flames. And um, well, the, the silver lining out of all of that was that I had managed somehow to get the intellectual property from the multiple natures into a separate company in the U.S. for different reasons. It wasn't like I was trying to take it out. We had to legally do that for, yeah. for a, a contract that we had. So it's like I, I walked away with my, my baby, yeah. which, which was good. But um, boy, oh boy, I, everything just burnt to flames in a minute. Everything that I thought was real, that I thought was true about all the spiritual stuff, I, I found out it was just a bunch of malarkey wow. and um that freed me that from freed me up yeah from the searching and the idea huh yeah well that i would almost me. say i would say in my own language is that the illusion of it was so you saw through the illusion that was for that long that the only question for me is how much of else is an illusion if, if that was an illusion and I took it seriously for 20 years, then what else in my life is an illusion where I, I sense and believe it's true, but it's not true? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so then I started questioning every. Well, what I did was that – I like something the Dalai Lama said. He, he said something like, you know, my relationship with, with God is my business. And – my relationship with everybody else in the world, you know, I'm one person, when it comes to my relationship with everybody else in the world, I'm one of 7 billion people. And what's important is not that religious thing. What's important yeah. is how kind I am to others, how compassionate I am, I am to others, how, yeah. how courteous I am to other people. And when I went back retrospectively and I looked at it, what I realized was how many things I mean, this is nothing new. Different people realize this in different ways. Some people might have realized it like, you know, in their first 10 years of life or something like that. For me, it took us, you know, much, much longer than that. But what I realized was that, you know, religion, when it's used as a, as a way of justifying, justifying the means is a really awful thing. Yeah. I mean, so many, so many people have died, you know, probably the, the majority of the people who have already yeah. been killed have been killed due to some sort of religious justification. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a lot so, of people that are watching that have that feeling. So you're uh, you're singing to the choir on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, all this is just to say, you know, when people talk to me about going to India, about getting some spiritual liberation, I I, I, I say to them, listen, I've been there. Um, probably in, in the best cases, I've seen that like people will wind up going to Varanasi, they get their passports stolen, they get dysentery, and that yeah. that's pretty much that's pretty much what you really get. Yeah. Um, I always called it very nasty. Because it was uh, so hard for me to stomach being in Varanasi, so I always said this place very is na very nasty. nasty. <laughs> yeah, I mean the way you the way you described your your trip down the you know the the river as well, but yeah. um, but that said, um, yeah, there were. I do have to say this. Apart from that, 
there were fabulous experiences, fabulous people that I've met that I'm that I'm still in touch with. And I feel like I was able to extract out of that situation something with multiple natures that that you know the the ideas behind this go back five thousand years. So it's yeah. like it was sort of like a heavy price to pay. A price I don't know if it's heavy. Maybe in retrospect, it's like a small price to pay yeah. for what I was able to actually um, ex- to, to bring out yeah. of there. You know, it's funny. I've spent a lot of time. One of the chapters in the new book, what, what I I wrote as I was working with people, I started to say, "Oh, as I'm working, I'm going to observe what I'm doing and then see if there's things that I'm noticing about myself." Because I don't necessarily follow a technique. And one of the things I was noticing that I was reframing a lot of stuff. Uh, so when someone like you would say something to me like, wow, it took me, you know, 19 years and I left with nothing. And then the reframe is what you just did is to say, wow, actually, if I think about it, this 5,000 year old content that was drawn and reduced down into something 19 like that, if I think that that could have been done in those years and I got away with that, my God, this was nothing. You know, that, that, that's really uh, the feeling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when I think about it, as I said before, it took five years just for me to like understand the lay of the land. And it took another five years to like build up my language level and, and to get fluent and to understand the philosophy because it's so deep and you have to weed through mm. all that stuff. And then at that point, that's when I actually figured out multiple natures. Nice. I was able to to go into the documents and and what was interesting is that they didn't see it. Like one of my partners was he's a an Ayurvedic doctor super famous news. But when I went in, I sort of sat there and I'm like, hey, if you do this and you take that and you do, you get this and this could be used for helping. And so I took these, con- you know, these concepts and I put them into a framework that works. And then I got some programmers to program it. And then afterwards, what the software that we make does, is like um, we were mentioning before, you were mentioning before about uh, the test, is it identifies which of your tigers, which of your qualities are strong. And then what it does is it can find careers, tasks, hobbies that relate to your nature. And with an algorithm, it'll pair them up to say, based on what your nature is, if you had to pick from any like, you know, 600 jobs, these would be the top ones for you. Yeah. Or even if not jobs, like if you're in a company and you're with HR and they say like, what are the tasks that this person in sales should be doing? Should they be doing active sales or should they be doing, um, you know, uh, purchase so you can reframe what it is that they're, do they need a little bit more people or remove yeah. the people interaction? Should they be doing more support? Should they be doing more sales? So the software can actually, looking can at ma- their, their it can, profile. It can match their yeah. predisposition to the types of roles and behaviors that are more suitable. Got it. Nice. Exactly. By the way, and we're, we're already way over or way over. We're oh. over. And, and I don't, we don't mind. But I, I do want to also ask like if someone is interested in doing this test or applying it to their business, how do they go about doing that? The website is multiplenatures.com. So if you go to multiplenatures.com, you will find that you'll find a link to uh, email to contact okay. us. And then if someone goes there, can they fill in this actual form? Or like what's the, what's the, like, what is what like take me through the process yeah. how do you how does someone engage you so you can't do the assessment just by like going to the website and like you know taking the test right there it's mediated by professionals who've been trained in the tool so okay. it's sort of like think of multiple nature as something like an mri but for your personality so it's not like you could just go and like you know push an mri button someplace and take a scan of your yourself um you need to work with somebody who's been trained in this so 
Um, we have on the website, there's a, a list of practitioners uh, who've been trained by me. We have about a um, hundred who've been trained. Not everybody's on the site, but um, if somebody's interested to directly go and to find somebody, you can see their credentials and then you can contact them, contact them and then they would discuss with you what they can do for you because each person who comes is going to have a specific need. Somebody's yes, looking, sure. it's a student who's for the first time thinking about a career. It's somebody who's um, lost their job and they're looking to get a new job. It's somebody who's midlife and they're looking for life balance. It's yeah. it, uh, so it can be. Lots yeah, they of- all have, they all have their own and each in each of your uh, practitioners obviously has their focus group as well, of course. Pre- precisely. Yeah. So we have some people who are career coaches. We have some who are life coaches. We have some who are HR, who, who work just in outplacement nice. um, or who work with like seniors. So there, there's all sorts of people okay. who, so you would find somebody who you would like to work with and then you can contact them and go through the process. And so there's an online test that's about two hours, uh, I'm sorry, 20 minutes. And then there's 90 minutes that's uh, a face-to-face. So you go through a personal reflection, reflective process. So it's not just like you do this test and the, and the computer software tells you what you are. It provides some information, but then there's a live assessment with somebody who's trained in this, who goes through each of the qualities and has a discussion with you. So in the process, you start to self-reflect and figure out where your blind spots are, what you really know about yourself that's, that's true and that's accurate, and maybe discover some things that you didn't know. So we've kept a human element to this very purposefully because we found that, well, I mean, right now, the software alone, even with AI, can only be so good at detecting Mm. whether a person is like padding and they're, they're sort of saying that they're a bit stronger in a quality where they're not. So as humans, it's much easier for us to detect uh, in their voice or by certain things that they're saying or where they might have certain confusion and nice. so that's why this human part is really important. And so um, the other mm-hmm. people who might be interested are people who work with tools like this. So um, yeah. anybody who is HR, life coach, um, uh, in management, and we've got training programs um, for that. Just as a, people that interested, what would the price be for somebody who would be interested in doing some of this in general? I'm sure each practitioner has a different price uh, strategy, but what would be, what could one expect? It, it's 1850, 1850 euro, uh, euros for the okay. course. It's, it's seven weeks and oh, there's a okay. lot of super... But, but sorry, just to help me understand, does one do the test and then do the course or can you just do the test? So if somebody's doing the test with a practitioner, um, they you could expect to pay between 180 euros and 220, something okay. in that range, depending in Switzerland, it's more and you know, Morocco yeah, is yeah. less. Uh, and we have it in multiple languages. It's in French, um, uh, Russian, and uh, Lithuanian, where my partner okay. is from, and, and Latvian. And so it's uh, it's in that range to take the test. But and then whatever you know, usually practitioners, life coaches, etc., mm-hmm. they bundle it together with some other services that they're offering. Yeah, so clearly. it's usually not yeah. just done as a test. It's usually somebody comes to get it to find a new direction in life, and they work with them over yeah. three, five, seven, you know, number of uh, sessions Beautiful. together and then it's part of that yeah. and so um, and I've, yeah. I've seen that often be which what people do they'll find a tool it usually becomes like a funnel to sell their own services so yeah that's uh that's a, a model i've seen used quite often it's on the screen and thank you that's it that's right www.multiplenatures.com yeah. uh thank you for being with us it was really great to thank spend you, time with you for having me It's a wonderful chaos.